are listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5GUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 408 of Linux in the Hamshack. This is our short topics episode. So we will be covering topics in amateur radio. We will be covering topics in, you know, Linux and open source and all that stuff. And then we'll mash them together in our Linux in the Hamshack segment later on down the show. But before we get to all of that, let's introduce the standard cast of characters for Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, excellent. So let's just dive right into it. My week has been hell. I don't know about everybody else's, but we're, we're still doing this thing, even if a bit a little bit late, um, at least recording-wise. This episode will actually come out on time, so you all who are listening to it after the fact will have no idea, except for the fact that I just told you. <laughs> um <laughs> But we do have a lead topic for tonight, and this one is about the Youth on the Air contest. So we'll let Bill tell you all about some Yota. Yeah, this came from a press release from the Yota Contest Committee. Team Yota has been working hard over the last few months to establish one whole new project for the ham radio community. Everyone can take part. It takes place three times per year and only lasts 12 hours. Its aim is to increase the youngsters' activity on the air, strengthening the reputation of the Yoda program, and demonstrate the support for youngsters across the world. Let us introduce you to a brand new Yoda contest. This year's sessions will be held on Saturday, on Saturdays, uh, the 22nd of May from 0800 to 1959 UTC, uh, the 17th of July, one, uh, 1000, I was going to say. 1000, right? Or 10 o'clock uh, to 2159 UTC. And the 30th of December, uh, 1200 to 2359 UTC. Uh, we have implemented eight different categories, which also include special ones for youngsters, less than or equal to 25 years old only, uh, covering 80, 40, 20, 15, and 10 meter bands. The competition will take place in CW and sideband modes. The contest exchange used will be the age of the participating operators. Different ages also serve as multipliers during the contest. Contacts between the their the own continent their oh, yeah yeah uh, contacts between each uh, each contestant's own continent are worth one point. Working DX is worth three points, but the most points will be achieved by working youngsters. The younger the operator, the more points one will get for the QSO. We, the IARUR1 Youth uh, WG, are very happy to be cooperating with MRAS, uh, the Hungarian Amateur Radio Society. They are providing the contest log robot and many more things regarding this event. In case of any questions, feel free to contact the Yoda Contest Committee at contest at ham-yoda.com directly. We hope to see you on the air within our newest project. And of course, I came straight from the horse's mouth over there at the Ham Yoda site. All right, very good. And I think WG is probably working group. I would, I would guess, probably, yeah. Given given context, <laughs> so. <clears throat> All right, very good. So yeah, get out there and work some Yota, work some work some Utes on the air, and the the Uter they are, the more you get for it. <laughs> <laughs> the Uter, <laughs> the Uter. <laughs> All right. So anyway, moving on from there, we uh, start off with amateur radio topics normally, and we'll do that again today. Maybe I just 
we'll switch it up and just go straight into open source, right? No, we're not doing that. <laughs> uh, amateur radio has a new census. As the amateur radio community grows and evolves, the need to better understand the preferences and expectations of amateur radio operators worldwide becomes increasingly important. Inspired by the new licensees joining amateur radio's ranks and the seasoned one who seasoned ones who continue to believe in its value, hamcensus.org is inviting all hams to take part in a unique survey. The project's founders are looking forward to responses from both the United States and the rest of the globe, notably from Canadian neighbors to the north, the large Japanese and Thai ham communities, and all other operators worldwide. Questions deal with operating preferences, gear, the shack, views on regulations, clubs and associations, and importantly about the future of amateur radio. K3MRI, co-admin of both Ham Census and Ham Community, says, quote, We wanted to give operators a louder voice to better inform club leaders, associations, manufacturers, and also regulators. Unquote. He continues, quote, We all want the amateur <laughs> radio community to grow organically and collectively. And I haven't started drinking yet. I think Bill has. And for uh, what we need to know, operators are thinking. Uh, for that, we need to know what operators are thinking. K3MRI and his team are counting on operators, clubs, organizations, and even ham-related businesses to spread the word, ensuring there is a large sample of respondents of all ages, all interests, and all nationalities. Ham Census, which is divided into six parts, runs year-round, delivering constantly updated results. The only caveat is that although it is absolutely free for all to take and use, only those who complete all six parts of the census have access to the full results. Importantly, after completing it, Ham Census is encouraging respondents to submit suggestions on how to improve both the questions and multiple choice answers, notably on everything that is cutting edge. As K3MRI states, if there's one thing all hams continue to prove is that amateur radio innovation is alive and well. Ham Census talks about takes about 40 to 45 minutes to complete. It's a long survey. <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds interesting. I would love to see the results. But in order to see the results, I have to take the survey. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we can do an episode just running through the survey and uh, group group responding. Right? Oh, I'm sure that that would be thrilling. Radio. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a deep dive. There we go. We'll put that in the books for like a month or two out. What <laughs> is say, your favorite? To do. <laughs> what is your favorite band? A eighty meters. B. 40 meters, <laughs> 20 meters. Yeah. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a thrill a minute. All right. Anyway, that came from the Southgate Amateur Radio Club, which normally we don't try and pull stories from, but I guess it was light this well, week. Well, I saw this <laughs> in multiple places. So I was like, well, I did find it in Southgate first. I could have read the copy straight from the website, uh, from, you know, obviously hamcensus.com or whatever it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I was like, I should give credit to Southgate because that's that's who I who I actually found the article first on. So way to go, Southgate. You guys are awesome. <laughs> they are awesome. <laughs> I don't know how they pull all the stories they pull, but there, there's very rarely something that we we find that they haven't already found. So, yeah, you know, true. On, on the one hand, good on you. And on the other hand, stop it. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> All right, let's see. We'll, we'll let Cheryl relax for a few over there. I don't know what she's doing. She might be working on a recipe or something. But um, we'll switch back to you, Bill, and you can tell us about some new information on Codec 2. Yeah, I saw this post over on uh, Dave Rose's site, uh, Codec 2 HF Data Modes Part 
two or part deux. <laughs> Over the past few months, I've been working on HF data modes, in particular, building up a new burst acquisition system for our OFDM modem. As usual, what seemed to be uh, what seemed like a small project turned out to be a lot of work. I've now integrated all the changes into the free DV API and started testing over the air, sending frames of data from TX uh, from a TX at my home to a remote SDRs all over Australia. Uh, the features on this uh, update is, uh, let's see, importantly, this work is open source. It's filling a gap in the HF data world. HF is used for ham radio, emergency communications, and in the developing world where no other infrastructure exists. It needs to be open. Uh, High-performance waveforms designed for fast-fading channels with modern forward error correction. Thanks to Bill, VK5DSP. Cool call sign there. Uh, implemented he, I wonder as if he's a, an audio guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably just random call sign, right? Yeah, I know. You got uh, that one Yeah, by allocation. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Implemented as a C library that can be cross-compiled on many machines and called from other programs, C and Python examples. Uh, you don't need to be tied to one operating system or expensive proprietary hardware. There's another dig at Ambi. Right? <laughs> Further <laughs> development is supported by a suite of automated tests. Yay, continuous integration. Uh, I'm not aiming to build the full-blown TNC myself, just the layer that can move data frames over HF radio channels. This seems to be where the real need lies and the best use of my skills. I have, however, been working with TNC developers like Simon, DJ2LS, uh, together, we have written a set of use cases that we have been developing against. This has been very useful and a fun learning experience for both of us. And that, of course, came from Dave's site, or Rotel. Cool, Almost more innovation. More progress, yeah. Yep. In the Codec 2 world, it's being used all over the place. And it's, uh, you know, suck it, Ambi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got M17 coming along, and probably some other things will be developed using Codec 2. And different ways to do digital voice and you know maybe maybe uh ambi will just open itself up and we won't have to worry about it if it doesn't want to have to try and compete with something like codec 2 and uh interestingly i was thinking about the fact that like some people will uh change their call signs to a vanity call sign to uh you know memorialize something that they're interested in like uh you with yours and me with mine and uh vk5 dsp with his and uh, I don't know why I thought this, but wouldn't it be terrible if whatever you did or whatever was memorialized was the other way around? It was from whatever you got assigned. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if you got like N5DIK, then I don't know what. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure there's some DIKs out there. Uh, there might be an LID or two. Uh, yeah, let's move on to some open source topics. The first one is Cosmic to arrive in June release of Pop! OS 2104. With April in full swing, it's time to preview the upcoming version of Pop! OS. New features are lined up. For, well, it has an exclamation point. You have to, you know, Pop! OS! <laughs> oh, I heard your limiter kick in, too. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I broke it, finally. <laughs> New features are lined up for the release, like kids at a candy store, because they want popsicles or something. Among them is the, what is with all the underscores? So it's just cut, it's cut and paste. <laughs> yeah, among them is the Tale, the Legend, the Ultimate Customizer, the Comic Desktop. That's a weird sentence. But to ensure the best taste, we're slow cooking Cosmic to deliver a chef's kiss quality experience. As a result, Pop OS 2104 will release in June. 
What is Cosmic? We're providing a honed desktop user experience in Pop! OS through our GNOME-based desktop environment, Cosmic. It's a refined solution that makes the desktop easier to use, yet more powerful and efficient for our users through customization. The new designs are developed from extensive testing and user feedback since the Pop! OS 20.04 release and are currently being further refined in their testing phase. Highlights are workspaces and applications, which I'm pretty sure most desktops already have, a dock, which I'm pretty sure most already have, the super key, which I'm pretty sure most already use, and two workflows, mouse-driven and keyboard-driven, which I'm pretty sure they all already use. But <laughs> Well, what they're saying is they're, those are the areas in which they focus the modifications on. So if you're used to uh, you know, your multiple workspaces in GNOME, that's going to slightly change. Plus, you can also have an application space uh, as well, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the dock is always, everybody's always used like dash to dock, uh, to actually make their dashboard, which is what you get with GNOME, um, which is not a dock <laughs> into a dock. So basically they're building their own dock. That's not, uh, not going to be a user extension, uh, or a GNOME extension. Um, and the super key mod is basically how, if you hit the super key now, it brings up the menu. Uh, the super key will bring up sort of like a, um, uh, well, it still does the same thing. You you know hit the super key and you start typing what you want, and instead you kind of get like uh, almost like the I'm thinking like the Mac OS uh, Finder thingy. Like if you do the what is it, the Apple Space or something like that, and you start you typing mean like Spotlight. Yeah, kind of sort. Well, not Spotlight. Cause Spotlight actually highlights stuff on the desktop and stuff, doesn't it? Or does that not work it like that anymore? No, I, I don't remember. think it does that anymore. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, similar, similar kind of thing. Um, at least, I mean, the visuals that I saw, I haven't actually played with it, so I can't really say otherwise. And then like, uh, the workflows are very, very specific to ensuring that the, that you can drive everything cleanly with the changes that they're doing with the mouse and as well with the keyboard, you know, being able to shortcut everything with keyboard, you know, you know, clicks and stuff like that and mouse actions. All right. Pretty cool. So I guess. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. We'll I'll take a look at it, like, one of yeah. these days. <laughs> Summer project. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any of those. So let's let's see if we can get Cheryl to come in here on this one, because I'm wondering if we could also get some editorialization on this topic. It's, it's about a specific distribution she doesn't use, but it might uh, reference other distributions, so... So the next topic is Linux Mint turning into Windows is the question that Jordan Glore talks about in his article from MakeUseOf.com. The developers of Linux Mint, a popular Linux distribution, have announced a new feature for the update manager that's meant to encourage regular and frequent updates. Some users in the Linux community have scoffed at this, saying it's too much like Windows' infamous forced updates. And we all know how much I love those. So what's really going on? In a March 31st blog post, the Linux Mint development team detailed how Mint's update manager application will soon start showing desktop notifications when a user has gone for a excuse me, significant amount of time without applying any updates to the operating system. 
The small dialog will appear prompting the user to either view the updates, set up automatic updates, or snooze till later. One of the most commonly cited reasons for switching to Linux from Windows or Mac OS is the imposition of frequent and large updates from those OSs on their users. It's understandable, but this move by the Linux Mint team might recall bad memories for those users and feel like rejection of the Libre and hands-off philosophies that many, many users associate with Linux. So is Linux turning into Windows? Not really. The Mint goes on excuse me, the Mint blog goes on to make it clear that the update manager still won't ever apply update without your consent. The Mint team reiterated, this is your computer, not ours. The feature is merely a notification function, not an automatic update protocol. And this information came from make use of. So it's, uh, so it's not going to do anything. It's just going to be much more naggy. That's, that's what everybody needs. I don't know what I'm running on my computer now, but it nags me all the time about system updates needing done. Yeah, you're running Debian, I think, or Debian or Ubuntu. I don't remember which one, but. Yeah, and Fedora does it too. They pop up a notification that, oh, you have important OS and application updates. They're ready to, uh, ready to install. (laughs) Do you want to install them now? And that window sits there in the middle of your desktop until you do something about it. Cause I, I usually come into my office in the morning with that dialogue popped up and I'm like, just go away. I need to do some work here. <laughs> no, mine, mine stay in the notifications tab. So they don't, they don't pop out or anything else like that. Of course I have that muted in Fedora. So <laughs> I don't have to <laughs> deal with them doing pop-ups and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, for people that don't update or infrequently update, it is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of important that you think about that because, you know, you could be having your system exposed to, uh, you know, unnice un- things. You know, it could have been a security patch or something like that to your kernel or net stack or something like that. Oh, no, there are definitely reasons to think about and to do regular system updates. It's just, you know, and it's it's probably for the people who are least likely to do them that this is most important, I guess. So I, I sort of see a reason for it, but, you know, uh, naggy, but again, naggy. Linux Mint is supposed to be the friendly switch over from Windows, uh, you know, um, distribution. So, I so, mean, they're, so they're trying to give to, the full experience. <laughs> yeah. They want to get that full experience. They're like, Oh yes, you have to update. Go ahead and go have a coffee break while we uh, reboot your machine a hundred times. And no. <laughs> I'm sure it's not that bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's not. Well, very good. And uh, I'm going to read the next one because the one after that is probably going to be uh, all about bill rambling about stuff. So, uh, we are moving into segment four, which is Linux in the Hamshack, where we blend the open source world and the amateur radio world together. Uh, this first story came from <sighs> GitHub. <laughs> um, so anyway, not, not that the story necessarily came from GitHub, but it's, it's about, it's from GitHub. Yeah, it's a readme, basically. So this is about universal ham radio remote HTML5, the interface thereof. This is an implementation of a Python server and HTML5 front end to provide a web interface to use your TRX for both RX and TX. Uh, TRX, I'm assuming, is what? Short for transceiver, I guess? Okay. I don't know that I've ever seen it written that way, but maybe I have. I don't know. Uh, you, You use the basic... You can use a basic and some advanced functions of your radio. You use the speaker and microphone of your computer to communicate. This is a project more oriented for voice or CW. Oh, man. Come on, stomach, I need a drink. <laughs> Caution. It is designed for Raspberry Pi OS 32-bit light, actually minimal image-based on Debian Buster. Use only if it is legal in your country. 
It is intended for remote use. It is not designed for use on the same computer as an interface, even though it will likely work. Please don't raise an issue for anything outside of the intended design. Like anyone's going to read that. <laughs> uh, Universal Ham Radio Remote HTML5. Sounds interesting. I'd, I'd like to see a sort of uh, software-based API for interfacing with rig control. I'd, I'd check that out for sure. Yeah, and it uh, it rides on top of uh, uh, Python 3, uh, basically running a tornado server. Um, I have tried to get this to work and, uh, this became a topic, uh, only cause we had kind of glazed over it when we talked to, uh, uh, was a W3 DJS on the ham pie project. And, uh, uh, one of the things that does get installed is this, uh, universal ham radio remote. Um, although, which I'll go ahead and kind of blend into the next topic, which is kind of my ham pie ham PC progress. <laughs> Okay, go for it. Uh, it is not set up <laughs> <laughs> on HamPy. Uh, so, uh, so it does look like there's a little bit of legwork to do there. I did take some time and try to get it to run, um, on my other desktop, my uh, Mac mini. And, uh, I got it to sort of run, but then I was having all other kinds of issues. One with uh, the SSL certificate that it uses. And, uh, you know, trying to use my own self-generated, whatever. And, uh, let's just say I could never get it happy. <laughs> and then I started, uh, editing the code to get rid of the need for SSL. <laughs> <laughs> and then I still couldn't get it to work. So, uh, so I'm not sure if this is, uh, fully functional or, uh, I just need to spend some more time in the debugger to, uh, to really test this thing out and get it to work. Cause I mean, obviously it, I don't think it really needs to be in a specifically a 32 bit environment. All of the libraries and everything else that is, it's dependent on obviously can be compiled on, uh, on 64 bit, um, including tornado and, uh, and uh, all the uh, Python uh, packages and stuff like that, that are included. Um, so yeah, it, it didn't work for me. I tried and tried and tried and I couldn't get anywhere. And this is kind of like the same or not the same, but like a similar kind of idea UI of controlling your rig, like the uh, rig pie does that you, that we've, you know, discussed uh, the, the, on the MFJ one, two, three, four project, um, that you could also download the image and, and play around with, um, where that one works out of the box. This one does not. And, um, I thought that maybe the ham pie image, which I, I did load up on a SD card and get run on my Raspberry Pi 4. Uh, it looks like uh, it, it wasn't fully configured there. Like the, um, the, the Python uh, support libraries weren't all loaded. And I didn't dig into the actual uh, HamPy um, uh, Ansible runbook or whatever for it to see if it was just <clears throat> missing it or whatever. I think it's complaining about like uh, Hamlib not being there. And, uh, of course that's provided by like a, a library pie ham lib and stuff like that. Uh, at least the interface to it. And, uh, yeah, so that's not working either. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, thumbs down for, uh, UHRR, which is basically the uh, executable name. Um, uh, but if you can try, if anybody else wants to try out there and, and give us some feedback on your success or failures with it, uh, we'll be happy to kind of continue to look at this. It definitely looks like, uh, an interesting, uh, interface that you can expose, you know, securely, um, um, through, through either, you know, directly through the app itself, which does have user authentication and obviously SSL support in theory. Um, 
And I saw one user in the GitHub had provided a wiki note of uh, actually uh, putting this behind Apache um, instance, you know, using SSL forwards and stuff like that, which I also tried. <laughs> and I didn't have any luck with that either. Um, well, see, all of so these projects are on GitHub. And as we all know, GitHub is spelled YMMV. Yeah, yeah, your mileage may vary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I had zero success trying to get the ham PC image to do anything. So uh, I'm probably just going to call that one a wash for that. But uh, I think he did explain in the deep dive that, you know, that's still in sort of test phase beta-ish. So um, your mileage may vary there as well. <laughs> but the ham pie thing did work, and uh, I haven't plugged it into a radio or anything else, but I did finally get a, a good look at uh, everything that he's done there and, you know, of course, turned off Boink and, and the stuff I didn't want to look at. Um, the nag window you get when uh, it does uh, boot up and log in automatically for you is, of course, for the, uh, you know, the QSLware uh, licensing thing. Um, you could probably take that out yourself because <laughs> you'd probably be violating his license. But, um, um, but yeah, I like the organization that he's done in the, uh, in the, uh, ham radio, uh, subfolder, which you normally get with a ham radio pure blend anyway, cause that gets, that gets added as a package and all your ham radio apps end up, you know, being filtered into that, uh, that, uh, that menu folder. If you actually use a navigating menu in your uh, desktop environment, obviously if you're using GNOME, you're probably not using that structure at all. So none of that stuff is important for you. Um, but he does, a does organize it based upon, you know, it's, it's use case, you know, whether it's a SDR app, whether it's, you know, logging app and stuff like that, which is really nice. It is a is really, really clean looking, uh, uh, menuing structure and stuff like that. So I was glad to finally get that loaded and, and take a look at it. So, so yeah, I probably won't play with it much more. You know, I might try to get this UHHR to work on there or UHRR, whatever ham radio, universal ham radio remote, uh, and see how that goes. Yeah. Hammer. So, uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been uh, I've been playing with here. So uh, that's all I had for those topics. Well, that sounds that sounds like it's good enough, actually. <laughs> so um, I don't have anything to add to that. I've not had the opportunity to play with ham pie a little bit. I I'm actually in the market for some more pies because I have actually used all the ones I had. Well, there's a there's a two B plus running around here somewhere, but I have no idea where it is. So. Um, if I find it, maybe I'll put it on there. We'll see how it goes. Why am I hearing birds? <laughs> oh, that's because my garage door is open. So the birds are chirping out here. It's springtime, baby. <laughs> yeah, springtime, baby. Well, I wish it was springtime here. It was spring for a couple of days two weeks ago, and then it's been back into uh, sort of late winter again. It's been ridiculous. Well, it was snowing all morning, so, you know. <laughs> but none of it's around. It did all melt it, obviously, and the sun's out. So that's why the birds are all happy. At least we didn't have any of that. All right. Well, that being said, we have come down to the end of our topics for episode number 408, but we do have... Did you just light up a cigar? Oh, mine's already lit. Oh, I, <laughs> That was somebody unmuting, I think. Oh, was that, that, was, that was me. Oh, are you lighting up a cigar? <laughs> no, I just unmuted. Thank you. All right. Well, anyway, you, you know what's coming up. It's the social media roundup, so we'll go ahead and let you uh, take us through it. 
Alrighty then. So for this time for our Patreons, we have Patrick Ang, or Ang, I'm not exactly sure how that's pronounced, Douglas Schock, Eric Guth, Brandon Rosak, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Pitts, Douglas Redder, David Jakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Erno Castellas, Samuel Vimes, Peter Caffrey, Richard Gordon, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, Donald Gover, Herb Garcia, Steve Sainer, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. For our subscriptions, we have Andy Cowley. He is new. We have Eric Muller, Carl Backus, Isaac Gear, Thomas Foy, Michael Bradak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Peter Spots, Fred Cole, Bill Pewter, D- Jeffrey Boris, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hill, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Roger Pereira, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Angle, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. On Facebook, we have David Potter. On Twitter, we had at CSAPCOD, at TimeBraid, and at Valiant Sam. On YouTube, Mike joined us. Just Mike. Mailing list, Russ is still working on getting it fixed, but I think he's getting further along with that. And on merchandise sales, we had Clint Brafford and Gary Watson. All right. Very good. That brings us down to the end of the show and uh, the end of the social media roundup and all the topics we had for tonight on our short, 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 short <laughs> uh, topic show. We did have some folks join us in the chat room, even though we're recording at sort of an odd hour. We had Ted with us, WA0EIR. So he's one of those people who obviously has nothing to do on a Friday afternoon. Uh, we have Don, KB2YSI, and did anyone else happen to see anyone else show up in there? I don't think so. That's all I caught. I think Tony's like yeah, that's all I saw. at work, and John looks like he's active, K1BTZ, so we'll throw him in there even if he's not. So you get a, you get a free mention for, for, no, <laughs> nothing, for doing nothing. <laughs> but anyway, that's the end of the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you have a great week, and uh, we'll come back for the Deep Dive episode which is coming up next, and uh, it will be sure to be a, a deep and interesting topic, and uh, maybe we'll all even learn a little something. But let's go ahead and get on out of here. This has been episode number 408 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link 
is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.